going to invite you to take your Bibles and open me to the book of Genesis this morning, Genesis chapter 6, and we'll, we'll camp out a couple of places as we move through Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9. Don't worry, we're not going to exegete every verse from every one of those uh, chapters. I, I do want to get you home before bedtime or get you dismissed from online church before the kids drive you absolutely crazy. So uh, we are going to look at a couple of spots from Genesis chapters 6 through 9. And uh, you know, when, whenever things happen in our in our culture, we pastors we want to be sensitive to that we want to uh, we don't want culture to dictate our preaching, but we want to address issues from Scripture uh, that are impacted by our culture. And of course, this past week, as things were, were taking place, uh, uh, I didn't have to worry about having to change anything because, as as it turns out, we're going to talk today about uh, some some things that Scripture speaks very well into what has been happening around us this week, and really what's been happening around us. Uh, for our entire existence since the days of the man who was involved with this, and that would be Noah and his family. So we're going to think today, I've titled the message as we're, we're go, kind of spending uh, s- several weeks in Genesis. I had intended to spend about six weeks in Genesis. Right now I'm up to ten. I'm hoping I don't go any, any further than that. So we've got a few more uh, weeks to go, but we're just kind of hitting some of the, the high points, the main events in the book of Genesis that, that kind of show us what things were like in the beginning. And today I've titled the message, Control-All-Delete. <clears throat> now, that's a sign it's not COVID, don't, don't worry, uh, or at least I hope it is. Uh, when, when you think about those commands, Control-All-Delete, th- those are commands, that, that's computer lingo. And uh, if you're a Windows person, that, that means that uh, when you hit Control-All-Delete, you're looking to shut something down. You're looking to reboot something. You're looking to to try something again. Well, what we're going to read about today, the Noah and the flood, was in a way God's reboot. It was God's restart. It was God's control-all-delete of a world that had gone bad. So my approach this morning is very simple. I I want us to, to look at the story as a whole And I want to move through some portions of that text, and I want to pull out for you a few lessons that we learn. In fact, just about four lessons. So we'll just jump right in and see where uh, the Lord takes us today. Lesson number one is this about Control-Alt-Delete. Lesson number one, God is grieved by sin. The story, the narrative of Noah and the ark teaches us that God is grieved by sin. Let's look in our Bibles in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 7. Genesis 6, 5 and 7 says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. The way this text reads, God was heartbroken. He was grieved over our sin. It said that it grieved him to his heart. In Noah's day, sin had spread like an incurable 
horrible disease consuming humanity. Our text tells us that the wickedness was great. Every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And so God determined to stop this rampage of sin by sending a flood to cleanse the earth. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very loving. Think of it this way. If cancer was to invade your body, you would take radical steps like chemotherapy. You would take radical steps to try to rid that body of that cancer. That is what God is doing with his creation. The sin of man grieved God's heart because of what it did to creation, because of what it did to God's glory. So God decided, to do something about it. Sin grieves the heart of God. It did then, and it does now. As we look back at events that have happened over the last several days in our country, when there was a loss of life of Mr. George Floyd, that grieved the heart of God. When God looks at what's happening to his creation today, when he sees people hurting one another and destroying things that he has allowed to take place in creation, it grieves the heart of God. The more things have changed, the more they have really stayed the same. Sin grieves God's heart. And if that were where the story ended, it would be tragic, but that's not near where the story ends with Noah. Because the second big truth we learn is this, is not only is God grieved by sin, but God longs to give favor. God longs to give favor. Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, look at what it tells us. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. What's so special about Noah? <clears throat> Nothing, really. Noah was a righteous man. Noah was blameless in his generation, but that doesn't mean <coughs> excuse me, that Noah was a sinless man. Noah had evil in his heart, as you'll see when his story ends. Noah was a righteous man, not because of what he manufactured. Noah was a righteous man because of the work God did in his heart. There's a verse over in Hebrews chapter 11 that tells us about Noah. It's Hebrews 11:7, which says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear he constructed an ark to the saving of his household, and he became an heir. Watch this, it's Hebrews 11:7. He became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Not the righteousness that comes by works, but the righteousness that comes by faith. That is gift righteousness. God did not save Noah because Noah was righteous. Noah became righteous because God offered salvation to him and he received it. See, this is always the way that unrighteous people become righteous. 
God gives us his righteousness as a gift to all who believe and respond in faith and surrender to it. All that God asks from us is that we give him an unqualified, an unconditional yes. Is that your posture before God? Are you fully surrendered to him? You're probably familiar with Noah's story. Noah puts his faith in God, it's, which is evidenced by his obedience to build this ark. And despite how absurd that plan seemed, and despite the ridicule that Noah received, and when the time was right, God told Noah to go into that ark, and, and he brought some people into that ark, and he brought some animals onto that ark. And when that last animal walked aboard that ark, Genesis chapter 9 tells us that the Lord shut him in. And then torrential downpours come down from heaven. Some kind of underground flooding occurred. And by the time it was over, floodwaters covered the face of the earth, the highest mountain, known mountain at that time, by 40 plus feet. Those floodwaters remained on the earth for another five months, and every living thing left outside of the ark drowned. The floodwaters eventually receded. The ark came to rest on a place called Mount Ararat, and Noah came out with his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, he came out with their wives. Noah came out with his wife, Joan of Arc. <laughs> I trust you're laughing at home because there ain't hardly nobody laughing right here. <laughs> and then after Noah and Joan and, and the rest of, of the Ark family come off, God makes a covenant, and that's what leads me to lesson number three. God cares for his creation. Noah reminds us, the flood reminds us that God cares for his creation. Read with me or, or listen as I read Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. Okay, this is the covenant that God is making post-flood. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Look at how chapter 9 opens. Chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Skip down to chapter 9, verse 8. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, 
every beast of the fields with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God has pressed the control-alt-delete buttons. He has rebooted creation, starting over with eight people, and he makes a covenant with them. Don't miss what God is teaching us from this covenant. In fact, God teaches us two things And they are two things as I watched this week unfold, I kept coming back to in my mind. God's reminding us of two things in this covenant. One is this, God is concerned about all creation. All creation. This covenant was not just made with Noah and his sons. This covenant was made with all creation, the beast and the birds and the livestock, all creation. Now, God's love is most squarely placed on humanity, but he cares for all creation. See, God has a purpose for everything that he has created, and that purpose is to declare his glory. God created everything in this world with the purpose of reflecting him like a mirror to show us what he is like and to help us to know him. And because of this truth, we as have a task as stewards of God's creation to help creation speak clearly and to cause creation to reflect the glory of God. That's why when we see riots and looting, that's why when we see creation dismantled, it grieves our heart because we're reminded that God is concerned about all, not just man, but about everything that he has made. And so when we see cities becoming destroyed and and when we see businesses being torn down, we know that's someone's livelihood. We know that's hurting all creation, and it grieves our heart. But God also in this covenant, he emphasized the value of every human life. He promises to never again destroy humanity in this way with the flood. You see, the value that you place on something is shown by the price you pay for it. The only thing equal to a human life is another human life. And those lives are equally important. Listen to me. God is pro-life in every possible way. 
and that means that those who know him, we have an obligation to protect innocent life at every possible level. This is why it disturbed us so much this week to watch a man place his knee on the neck of another man and lead to the taking of his life. That's why it grieved us to the core. That's why it caused anger to stir up within us because we know that at the end of the day, every human being, regardless of their race, regardless of their color, regardless of their creed, regardless of their age, regardless of their economic status, regardless of their gender, regardless of their level of intelligence or development, regardless of the choices they make, every person bears the image of God and is precious in God's sight, and every life has equal value, dignity, and worth because it's created by God. And this is why things that happen like they happened this week grieves us so much. It's because we know within us that even though we're sinners, we know that God cares for his creation. And we know that God cares and places a high value on human life. What then is the solution? Here's where I want to bring us to in point number four. The fourth lesson we learn is this. God does more than a reboot. God does more than Control-Alt-Delete. God redeems. See, our series is called In the Beginning, and, and Two weeks ago, we looked at a sermon I titled, Before There Was a Beginning, and last week, we looked at why we need a new beginning, and here this week, we're seeing God kind of give another new beginning, but it wouldn't be the ultimate solution for man's sin problem. For you see, God knows that man will fail God knows that man will fall short of his glory once again. Let me take you back to, Roman, or to Genesis chapter 8. I don't know why I said it to Romans. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 21. Listen to Genesis 8, 21. <clears throat> this is after Noah prepares the, the offering before God. And it says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. Look at the last part of this verse, or listen carefully. I'll never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, you would expect God to say, I'll never destroy the earth again because I know man's going to do much better this time around. That's not what he says. <clears throat> God says, I'm never going to destroy the earth by a flood again because I know that man is still evil, and if I do this every time that the, the evil of man is, is, is grown, then I'm going to constantly be destroying the world by a flood. Instead, God says, I will pursue a different solution. And the rest of Noah's life teaches us this truth. I, I would love to say <clears throat> that the last scene we have of Noah is of him carrying his family to Bible study at the First Baptist Church of the Ark. I, 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 would, I would love to be able to say that's how Noah's story ends. But you know how the, the last scene that we kind of have of Noah, you know what it is? 
It's of Noah getting drunk as drunk could be and walking around as naked as naked can be. That's not how you think the story of the man of God would end. This last scene of Noah's life isn't there to embarrass him. It's there to teach us something. The virus of sin that caused the destruction of this world with the flood is still alive and active in Noah. And guess what? It's still alive and active in us. The God's goal with letting us see the narrative of Noah is to show us the need for a completely kind, different kind of salvation. Listen to what Genesis chapter 9 and verse 13 says. This is God speaking, and God says, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I have set my bow in the cloud. The word for bow in the Hebrew that's used in this verse is not the rainbow. The word for bow that's used in this verse is the war bow. The, the bow and arrow, the bow that you would pull the arrow back, release the arrow to attack your enemy. It's has said, it's the, it's the, it's the, 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 the war, uh, the instrument of war, the instrument of battle. The, the rainbow, of course, is shaped like a war bow. The rainbow shows us that God has laid down his war bow in the heavens. God will not accomplish salvation by shooting the arrows of his wrath into men. If you look at this rainbow like a bow, when, you, when it rains, you see a rainbow, well, when you see that rainbow in, in, in that half circle, it looks as if that rainbow is pointed, if you picture it as a war bow, it's pointed straight toward heaven. How symbolic is that to let us know that in God giving this symbol that God was promising one day he would wipe out evil from the earth, not by sending bows down to man, but by taking the bow of his wrath into himself. And this is where you start to see Jesus. Because Jesus, like Noah, he will obey God. Even though no one understands him, even though no one really believes him, even though a lot of people think he's crazy, just like they thought Noah was crazy. And he'll provide an ark of salvation. But unlike Noah, Jesus will succeed all the way to the end, not in a drunken stupor, but in dedication and surrender as he declares to his Father, not my will, but yours be done. Like Noah's ark, Jesus will shield us from the storm of God's wrath. He will lift us up over above the waters of judgment. But unlike Noah, the ark that Jesus provided is not made of gopher wood. It was made by his own flesh. Just like Noah Jesus will emerge from the storms of God's judgment, and Jesus will begin a new creation. But unlike Noah, this new race of people will not be defined by color or creed. They will not have hearts whose thoughts are always evil continuously. Rather, this new race that God will start will be new creations. 
in which he changes the hearts to where there is no more Jew, there is no more Greek, there is no more slave, there is no more free, there is no more white, there is no more black. We are all one in Jesus Christ. The only question that remains today is this, have you entered this ark of salvation? Have you entered this ark of salvation? There's only one door, and it's not good works. There's only one door, and it's not church attendance. There's only one door, and his name is Jesus. And one day, just as he did in Noah's generation, God is going to shut the door, and the chance to enter this ark of salvation will be over. The Apostle Peter, when he writes in his letters in the New Testament, he uses the narrative of Noah to give us a warning to not delay repenting of our sin and surrendering our life to God. The floodwaters did not immediately fall. When Noah built the ark, the floodwaters didn't fall right at that moment. Instead, God was giving people another chance to repent, another chance to escape destruction, even though it seemed like it was going to take forever Ever, the promised judgment came. So Peter writes this in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some understand slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. Have you ever wondered why, oh Lord, why don't you just return right now? Why don't you just get this all over with? Why don't you just come and reverse the curse, Lord? Why not today? The reason Jesus has delayed his return is that he wants you to have one more opportunity to repent and to enter the ark of salvation. Make no mistake, Jesus is coming back. And when he returns, he will bring justice and judgment with him. It may seem like it's slow, but it is on the way. Have you fled to the ark of salvation that's found in Jesus? If you have not, you can flee to him right now. If you haven't fled to that ark, Jesus is simply a prayer away. Just as Noah received righteousness from God, so you too can receive righteousness from God. You can at this service, at this moment, you can pray to, to God. You can ask him to become your savior. You can give him a, a, a yes. You can say, God, here am I. Here is my sin. Take my sin. Forgive me. And I want to trust you you is my Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches me that when you make a prayer like that to God, when you speak to God in that way, when you repent of sin, confess it to God, and ask Him to be your Savior, that at that moment your eternity changes. And if you've never done that in your life, you can do that right where you are, whether you're sitting in this building or whether you're sitting at home right now. You can cry out to Jesus. If that's a decision that you want to make today, in a few minutes I'm going to, to pray after I make a couple announcements. And as I pray at the end, I just encourage you to ignore what I'm praying and you just pray to Jesus. Ask Him to be your Savior. Confess your sins to Him. If that is the decision you've made today, 
or if you've got questions about that, or if there are other decisions you need to make. Then we encourage you to do one of two things. If you're here on our campus, you can look at the pew in front of you. There's a yellow card that says, My Decision. You can indicate the decision you need to make today. We'll follow up with you on that. If you're at home, you can go to the website, fbcmelton.org, and you will see on the home page a link to click for your decision. You can share it with us that way. Don't leave this place today. Don't turn off your internet connection today, this morning, without making sure that you are in the ark of salvation. That's my prayer for you this morning.